Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Attorney Sonia Madison. Sonia, how you doing today? Uh, you know, it's been an interesting week. Uh, I mean, we finally got a speaker of the house, so I guess we can, <laughs> we can resume with our government. But... Oh yeah, life goes on now. Huh? How about that? <laughs> that was interesting. I, I stayed up last night actually watching that. Did you Did you see all the the all the drama that unfolded on the floor did, last night? You know, it's funny. Once it hit midnight, I said I'm going to call it. Um, but I did see the I guess almost altercation between yeah. Gates and I, I believe it was the Republican from Alabama. I'm not sure what his guy what the guy's name was, but I did see him almost charge <laughs> and get him back. <laughs> I think we laughed, but. It, it is it's kind of sad at the same time <laughs> it is it was um um oh gosh kevin mccarthy was furious when you saw that he went back he was like listen let me handle this myself and uh <laughs> i think up until that point most of the negotiations were handled by his uh by his de designate knees or whatever so that he can try to keep his hands clean from it all but at that point i guess he determined i guess i need to get my hands a little bit dirty or, or get involved with it i and, was gonna say i feel like they were very well dirty before before <laughs> yesterday. We pretty much gave up everything but the house position. It's funny. I feel like the whole thing, the week started with, no, I'm not going to make any of these concessions because essentially what you guys are doing, and this came from one anonymous person. Everyone's anonymous until they want to write their book. They, right. they essentially said, hey, a lot of these um, extremists are asking for, honestly, just personal stuff, personal favors, and not as much as things that maybe their constituents want. Although I do think some of them are probably asking, no, we don't want Kevin. Just give us some someone new. <laughs> we want to drain that swamp. So by the end of it, it became, oh, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give them everything they want just so I can have the position. Yeah. Well it's that same, it's that same constituent of uh of Congress people, the uh Freedom Caucus and several of the other caucuses within the Republican Party that were the bane of existence of uh, John Boehner and, and Paul Ryan. And the reason why they decided pretty much, you know, I, I'm not dealing with all of this. You know, you just cannot govern with some of these people who have really unrealistic expectations and unyielding in their uh, willingness to <clears throat> or a lack of willingness to compromise. And it, it will be interesting how how he governs moving forward at this point after having been so badly weakened in the, in, in the at the onset you know this is the supposed to be the easiest vote that you have you know <laughs> and it's funny in his speech he said well it's not how you start but how you finish i was like oh this was just the start <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> i mean you haven't finished yet I mean, yeah it just gets worse <laughs> he did throw that little uh the little comment out to Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries, he said, I'll forewarn you. He said, two years ago, I was I was voted as the, as the leader of the party uh, unanimously as well. And you see how things can change in two years. Well, a lot has happened in that two years, too. I mean, a lot has happened in terms that he brought on himself. Exactly. I was watching one commentator. She was saying that um, he created this monster himself <laughs> and that over the past two years, you, you know what the his, history shows you that the house is going to flip uh, from the party who's in charge at that point. So they expected that the house would go to Republicans. His job over those previous two years was to try to help shape the, the, part, the party into something that he could actually govern. But I agree. This is a demise of his own making and in, mm -hmm. even his relations as it relates to the insurrection and then going back to Trump it's it's clear he's trying to play both sides of the fence while at the same time trying to still come off as if he has have this integrity of some degree as it relates to the role because again i don't doubt a lot of people came to the office and asked for what they wanted and probably with some arrogance said no now i dare you not to vote for me <laughs> and it was in for a rude awakening each time the session opened he comes in with this 
I don't know, this ego or this smile and, and each time, I mean, again, this it came down to the 15th vote. But um, appa- apparently Trump had to get his hands into it. So uh, I guess he must have called after the 14th vote and persuaded uh, several of the no votes to go to present. He's now going to have bragging rights. Trump was involved a little bit earlier on, but it didn't it, it didn't move the needle as much as he probably thought it would. Um, but I do think to some degree that it was probably a mixture of being worn out because, I mean, are we really going to continue to drag this out as well as um, McCarthy making more concessions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens <laughs> in the weeks to come, in the months and years to come as well. Oh, so. Are you predicting they're going to pass anything? Absolutely nothing. They're going to do a lot of investigations <laughs> and uh, we're going to have threats and the government will be shut down. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to have a government shut down come August, September of this year yeah, because they will not be, he will not be able to, to get the support of some of these uh, ultra conservatives who he'll have to give away the kitchen, um, the whole farm for that. And so, and the kitchen sink. I heard one of the potential concessions was the ability to oust him. <laughs> <laughs> or at least bring it up for a vote, one person. And how about wonder how many times that's gonna happen? I'm gonna that I'm gonna go <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna put a bet. We should wager, put some wages. I think it's gonna happen in two years. I think it'll happen about five times. <laughs> five times. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 still interesting that we get Matt Gates, someone that really needs to be indicted, and I'm sure the Republicans probably secretly hope that Merrick Garland will put the hammer down on that. But between Matt Gates and George Santos, and I know George Santos hasn't been um, sworn in or perhaps after the vote, they started swearing them in. But, I, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I was talking to a couple of friends of mine. To me, George Santos and Herschel Walker are like the same person. One just got elected and the other one didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably has something to do with the abortion. Yes. <laughs> Santos abortion scenes didn't come out so <laughs> at least not yet he at least kept the receipts at bay I'm like <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that, it's just sad that's where we're turning to because again these are the people that the next generation are watching and if there is no sense of what it takes to be a qualified member of Congress if the only qualification is the ability to run <laughs> That because you can just lie your ability way. to win. <laughs> you can just lie your way through the campaign process. Yeah, I mean it's a sad state of where we are. It is, unfortunately, that is the truth where we are. Um, it was interesting to me that um, no, I don't know what I was just about to say, but you know, I had a, a conversation just past week, probably on a different subject, and maybe I get your idea, your your point about it. Went into a Twitter war. Uh, this week I did, and so I got into it. So every other week, what was the Twitter war for this week? <laughs> so there's this lady who uh, is very big on uh, protecting women who are abused, and um, she really is very critical of the church who, uh, of churches who may discipline or may tell women that they're wrong for leaving an abusive relationship and uh, maybe not wrong but to say that hey this is still a sin even though you do it even though it's legitimized even though we understand why you do it even though we may actually encourage you to do it this is still a sin and so that terminology really bothers her and so um i think there was one person who she she really criticized one pastor who quoted this other pastor piper uh who I don't even know what the statement was, but I'm sitting there thinking like the point was is that a truth remains a truth regardless of who speaks it. That was my position. I said even if if I if the devil himself speaks the truth, it's still the truth. It doesn't denigrate the truth, doesn't diminish the truth. But I think what happens is often people will uh, abscond and and try to you know evade the truth because the messenger who delivered the truth and then they can say, well, they can become distracted from that and therefore you don't have to acknowledge that it's still the truth. You know, we've talked about this before, being able to separate the message from the messenger. And and I think a lot of people can't do that based on even what you're saying. You know, I, I look at a lot, a lot about great messages that have gone out, but then the the messenger behind it dulls it and then it kind of taints the either the, the religion or the 
just a lot. I mean, I, I kind of think also like a, a Jamal Bryant, if we're going to stick with the whole Christianity thing. I mean, he's had multiple children outside of his marriage. His messages, though, are extremely well, you know, delivered. They're, they're a lot of times, at least from some of the ones that I've heard, I'm not going to speak on all of them, but some of the ones I've heard have been on point with the Bible. But because of his background, people use that to say, well, this is why I can't be a Christian, or this is why I can't go to that church, or this is why, you know, everyone is just a hypocrite within that religion. And, and it's unfortunate because like you said, I mean, even the devil knows the truth. Even people who, um, you know, do not, you know, surmise or, or seek the desires of eternal um, life know that, hey, this is what is um, this is what Jesus did, or this is the salvation that he provided, or even Jesus did exist, because, you know, some people even deny that the Bible has any type of historical relevance to it. But nonetheless, they do not want to follow whether it's for their own personal interests or whether it is for the conspiracy of it all or, or whatnot. Um, and they And because of that, their lifestyle can oftentimes overcloud the message or the truth that they know. Or even, you know, just speaking of Jamal Bryant, he, I think he stopped not using church funds to now go build a cannabis field and sell <laughs> cannabis, which is a whole different story. Well, I'm not saying that that is a sin per se. Um, and I know that in his, and maybe that's a debate we can have, but I know that his motive is, hey, I, I want to teach young children in particular what it means to grow a business, what it means to be in agriculture and all that kind of stuff. But to your point, I mean, you're you're you may be growing something that is detrimental to the community, and and you know to some degree, if there's some people that say it's either of God or not of God, and when you determine the two, you either find it in the Bible or you don't. If you don't find it in there, then you have to ask yourself, well, is this something that I want to do, or is this something God's calling me to do? Yeah, one of the one of the arguments that came forth was uh, when you're a pastor or when you're of a certain level of prominence and or success, if we would, to transition to what we're talking about, when you're of a certain level of prominence and influence that you have a higher expectation, that there's a higher expectation that you will be a little bit more cautious about who you quote and or cautious about the schemes or the uh, or the plans that you devise to 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 teach a certain lesson. So maybe in his level of position, maybe if he didn't have that level of success that Jamal Bryant is enjoying right now, maybe he would be a little bit more likely to get away with, you know, planting this field and wouldn't draw as much ire or criticism as someone who was not as successful. So then the question then comes is, um, should we even aspire unto those type of positions and, and and to that level of success? And when we do, do we subject ourselves to unnecessary, unwarranted scrutiny? Not just scrutiny, but uh, as we see even with football this past week, um, you know, not just scrutiny of our personality, but sometimes even jeopardizing our lives in our pursuits for success. Well, I do want to make clear when we talk about success that because I, there are a lot of definitions that, that what you, we're really talking about is, I guess, monetary success, um, because quite frankly, you know, Jesus obviously was a successful person, but he didn't live some kind of wealthy or affluent lifestyle. Um, but we all know the influence that he has had and continues to have over this this global world. Um, and, and so in, in that vein, I mean, I will say, I, I don't doubt that Jamal Bryant had success well before he is where he is now. I mean, again, he, he has the ability or he has the talent to speak and, and galvanize people. And he has used that to, to have, I mean, I think his first church is maybe around Maryland or DC. And then now he's here, here in Atlanta. And so, I mean, I really say all that to say, to me, we're really talking about the influence that you have over people and whether or not once you recognize you have that kind of influence, is there an expectation? Because just from my perspective, just because you have a million dollars doesn't mean you have the influence. Right. And so I don't I don't know that I would agree with you on saying that we're defining success as monetary uh, gains. And, you know, people define success uh, based off of what their own uh, prerogatives are sometimes success is just having that influence you may be you may still be a pauper but you got lots of influence I don't know how that happens in America but it's still possible well it is well and that's my point I mean if we're if we're trying to put in oh the expectation part then then we have to define what success we're, we're qualifying here because like you said you could be a poor person 
um, and have influence. If we can look at a Gandhi, I don't consider him someone who's just got money raining all left and right, but he had a lot of influence. Um, and, and, and vice versa, we see a Donald Trump. I mean, granted, we can debate whether or not he's rich in money or not, but he Richer has- Richer than I am. Let's say it that way, so. <laughs> But as we see, he has had a lot of influence, particularly on the Republican Party. Um, but I do, I do think you should, um, to some degree, recognize that there people are putting a level of expectation on you. But at the same time, I, I don't know what that expectation is per se. Because again, I look at a Donald Trump, and I want the expectation to be okay. Now you've got kids watching you. You're the president of the United States. We can't just start lying just for the sake of lying, or we can't start you know, in endorsing extremists, white supremacists, racist groups, just because they are the ones that galvanize you and put you in that office. But nonetheless, that's what he's done. And, and to some degree, that was the expectation that some people had of him. And for him to have, you know, reverted to a more moral compass would have disappointed a lot of people. It would. <laughs> but it, and and then again it then it then um impacts your ability to claim whether or not you're successful in that moment or not and so even for him to achieve the level of success that was important for him which is probably more the influence than anything else <clears throat> he had to be he had to compromise i don't know for if for him if it was a big decision to compromise oh, but to compromise. i don't yeah. even know if he has a a how this is my principle or if it's yeah. just hey it's all about the position and however i get there is how i get there but whether it was a personal compromise or not it was still a compromise there were some people it was a compromise meaning that i put myself in a compromised position because now I have not condemned these white supremacists. And now it's just given, it's fodder for my yeah, opponents to be able to argue against me. Huh? I mean, you're presuming he realizes white supremacy is wrong. Well, even whether he thinks it's wrong or not, he still compromised himself. He gave he gave ammunition to his to his opponents. Compromise, and, and maybe that's where we are. But a compromise to me means you are to some degree putting aside your your personal principles for the sake of of coming to an agreement. I don't think that that was a principle that he had as a relationship. We're using different definitions of compromised. I'm saying he's compromised. He is compromised, meaning made more vulnerable, more subject to to attack, as opposed to compromise, meaning give and take in terms of negotiation. Even I'm in saying, that context, I mean, I'm like, you're already, I mean, to me, if you come into a situation where you pretty much at rock bottom or you have no morals or no principles, you're already the most vulnerable you're ever going to be. And so to say, well, he became not necessarily so. Like, well, he did, he's not he's not losing any principle. But that's your perspective, because not everybody expects. And this is something that was stated over and over again in 2016. They said we're electing him to be the commander in chief, not the priest in chief or the the a uh, high priest or the yeah, moral we're advisor. About, we're both talking about our perspectives here, but we're talking about him. And and to me. He's made it clear, I'm not running as a priest. I'm not running as someone to have this big moral compass. I'm not even running to tell you what principles you should have. But that doesn't I'm necessarily compromise him. Position. But that doesn't necessarily compromise him. And that's my point. He, I don't think he was compromised. I think he was just empty. And he said, hey, tell me what I need to do. <laughs> I'm at the most vulnerable. And again, it started with the birth movement or and you could even go back to the discrimination in housing. I mean, if you didn't feel like there was anything wrong with picking and choosing based on race, then I'm not going to say that you now all of a sudden have a moral compass and you feel compromised because you're not doing what it is you feel like is morally correct. Well, he, he was definitely compromised by not denouncing white supremacy. Um, criticize, maybe, I guess maybe you shouldn't consider criticize versus compromise, but the question is you're weighing, you're weighing how much compromise am I able to sustain and still to be able to accomplish the goal that I want. I mean, we make those decisions all the time. How much am I willing to compromise? The young gentleman who was on the field last week, um, Hamlin, the football player, how much every time a football player goes on the field, he says, how much of me am I willing to subject to compromise in order to accomplish the goal that I want to accomplish? And, and you know, these football players get on the field Sunday after Sunday or week after week, 
realizing that, you know, they can get the injury that could be career ending. It could be even life ending as we've seen uh, over the past week. Um, those are, those are things, those are decisions that you have to make, um, on a moment by moment basis. You have to make those decisions before you determine that you're going to, hopefully you'll make those decisions and you'll consider those risks before you take that initial step. But even when you're in the thralls of it, you have to still continue to make that decision. Am I willing to risk it? Am I willing to risk it in order to achieve the success or what I consider to be the success in this arena? Well, but again, my point is, I think you're presuming or assuming that they have the knowledge of those risks and therefore they do understand that they are compromising their health. I think to some degree, they don't either have the knowledge or have the appreciation of what they are putting or what they are compromising. You know, they back in the 90s, I want to say, or maybe the late 80s when the whole CTE thing came out, I mean, obviously the argument initially was, hey, the NFL um, coaches, whatever, were saying, this is not an unsafe sport. We've had the correct equipment. But then as we see um, decades later, you and, and I'm sure you can speak on this more than I can, the effects of the concussions. And so if you didn't know that from the beginning, you don't recognize that you compromised that when you entered the sport. I don't know. Again, we talked about Hamlin. I don't know if he recognized that, hey, you know, I keep getting hit in this in this field. It could stop my heart. It could put me in a position to where I could be an invalid or I could be, again, my demise. I could be dead. And, and so then are you truly compromising? And if you don't know or have that knowledge or information from the outset? Well, this is true. And I will say that in my uh, in my field, we have to do this thing called informed consent. And um, and so what means which means that every time we subject somebody to a surgical procedure, they understand that we have to discuss with them all the risks that can happen, regardless of how remote that risk is. We have to say, you know, there's a risk that you could have an adverse reaction to the anesthesia. Your heart could stop. There's a risk that you could die. There's a risk that you can have a stroke, a heart attack. You know, there's a risk that you can have an unsightly scar, bleeding. You know, I mean, we have to run down all these things such that. Uh, you can have a leakage of fluid from around your brain and can lead to a brain infection, require additional surgery. We have to explain all these things to patients. And then half of the time, some patients get scared. Like, I don't know that I want. No, maybe not half of the time. But. <laughs> Especially when you put that waiver in front of them. Now, sign away yep. on my ability to kill you. <laughs> exactly. Now we need you to sign. Do you, do you still want to have this procedure? And it'll be interesting to me. And this, I do not know if, if uh, NFL players have to sign some type of informed consent when they when they uh, sign up for the league. I'm sure that when they do sign, they sign some type of uh, uh, waiver of their rights to sue the NFL for injuries that they sustain. And they should be educated about what are some of those risks before they uh, engage in this endeavor to of success for them. Well, I mean, I don't doubt that even maybe Little League, I don't doubt that those waivers are sent to parents. To hand you, you waive, who reads them? You know, right through the school <laughs> or the community, um, you know, organization that's organizing, you, you waive that, right? I don't doubt that those waivers are are in place. But I again, I still, I'd imagine that's probably in place for a lot of sports. I, I, and, and I'd imagine a lot of people, it's kind of like reading the terms and conditions that you sign on the website or that you sign anytime you you go do an excursion away. I, I think a lot of people, they read it and like, okay, yeah, whatever. I've signed this a thousand times without appreciating what it is that you're compromising. Um, you know, when when you, at least for me, and again, I, I didn't necessarily watch the game in real time, but when, of course it, it blew up and, and you see those players huddled around Hamlin and some of them in tears. I think to some degree they're, there's that moment of you cannot be serious to think I'm really about to play this game right now. I'm watching in real time my fellow my fellow player without being resuscitated, you know, hoping that they bring him back to life because it seemed as if his heart truly sucked. I mean, I, again, I'm you probably know better than I do what, what exactly happened, but I'd imagine if it, the CPR had to be there, then his heart was not pumping at the time. And, and to see someone lifeless like that, I mean, I think that it's a, it develops an appreciation that maybe you didn't recognize before. Yeah, and and uh, here's the deal: is that at least with us, I will say that 
in my field, it's our obligation. You know, the courts hold us responsible to educate patients about those informed risks uh, before they engage in that surgery. Uh, and if they don't, we can be sued, especially if they under if they happen to suffer some of those consequences or uh, side or uh, adverse events related to the surgery. And then the patient can come and claim, well, he never told he or she never told me that this could happen during the surgery. And then, you know, we're subject, of course, you know, doctors are prime targets for, for lawsuits, you know, let me get my, But I, should not the uh, should not the NFL be responsible for actually you know advising and consulting and saying hey these are some of the uh, the risk of it and not just bury it in in a in a in a contract saying that these are some of the things that can happen that's one thing but you have to express those potential risks and literally uh, get that person's informed consent to 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 participate in this sport. <clears throat> knowing those risks you brought that up because i think there is a debate as to whether or not it is the players union or the nfl as it relates to the responsibility in that realm um one of the and i forget the name but one of the viral videos that's going around is one of the and i don't think he was a former player or not but maybe he has been he puts a lot of ownership similar to what you're doing on the nfl saying hey at least as it relates to compensation the compensation should reflect the level of risk or in your words compromising that the person is doing as it relates to their health um, i'm not sure of what the collective bargaining agreement that's between the nfl and the, and the players currently but i imagine at least what's being said and again this isn't i'm not saying this is true so this is what i what my understanding based on some of the reports is that you know this guy Hamlin? He signs a bonus. It's probably like a million or so, and then he's getting a salary. But again, if you you don't you don't get that pension until you've played in there. I want to say maybe four years or so. And so if within the two years, because I, I think he's maybe been in the league one or two years, within the two years you get in the position that he's in now, you're not only out the remaining you know portion of that contract because you're no longer playing. You're cutting your salary, but then you don't get the pension. And so then, and, and then, and, and assuming he's going to be able to work, and, and another argument that again going to the video is, so then he's stuck relying on disability. Well, if the NFL is pushing back on how much money they have to be able to dispense to you monthly for disability, you begin to question, okay, what is the sustainability of this person's livelihood? And he's like maybe in his twenties for the next thirty or forty years. And, and, and even when you're talking about the perhaps liability of the NFL, you know, you're going back to the CTEs. Yes, they were sued. I mean, that's why it became such a big deal, because as you pointed out, that information wasn't given. And at some point, I'd imagine the NFL did know about it, particularly a lot of, um, I guess, former retired athletes started going crazy and killing themselves and, and, and asking or at least putting in their will, hey, I want to donate my brain to science so you can figure out what's going on here. At some point, it became knowledgeable from the NFL, and they did not disseminate that information. And so it was not as much so, hey, you didn't know, and so then maybe you're not liable. But once you do know, and you're not being forthcoming, is there a liability there? Now, again, the other argument is perhaps it's the player's responsibility. I mean, you're the it's your life. You're the <laughs> one that's ultimately making this decision to be out there. And quite frankly, I think a lot of them probably understand, hey, there nothing about getting hit for a living sounds safe <laughs> you know what i mean right that. right <laughs> but not, especially not now <laughs> <laughs> and then you watching your fellow defense line doing you know all this weight training and 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 pretty much hearing the coaches say hey i want you to hit that quarterback hard because i want him scared for the rest of the game mm -hmm. to some degree have some assumption of risk that's the more legal term but some knowledge that hey, this isn't a safe sport and so is there some responsibility on the players to ensure at least you know there is that knowledge going around but also to to do more and and getting more compensation or at least valuing yourself more i don't know the answer to, to either of those i mean you know i often represent employers so of course i'm gonna 
say the employer's interest is is that's what we're in a capitalist society and Phil's going to look after the interest. The owners are not the ones trying to be out there in the field <laughs> for a reason. Um, but nonetheless, you know, people want to put a, as we're talking about, people want to put a moral responsibility on the entity with the most success. And it's yeah. the NFL versus the player. All right. Well, I, I want to mention something medically before we get to a viewer comment, but um, Commodio Cordis, I guess I'm wondering now if that's one of those things that are now going to have to be explained to NFL players and other, not just NFL players, but uh, many other sports, especially those with a projectile, uh, like baseball or lacrosse or something like that. Uh, Commodio Cordis, Cordis is what he, what, what, what they call that he suffered. Basically the ventricles, the bottom part of the heart will be the part that actually contracts and sends blood to the rest of the body. And it depends on electrical activity of that and having a normal rhythmic electrical activity causing the heart to coordinate its contractions uh, rhythmically uh, so that it, you know, sp su sufficiently supplies blood to the rest of the body. Well, occasionally that uh, rhythm can be disrupted and then uh, the heart just starts fibrillating. It's what we call ventricular fibrillation. Um, and just um, a hard blow to the left side of the chest, uh, usually at like a 90 degree angle, is enough to disrupt that electrical activity and that rhythm, that normal rhythm that the heart is in, and send it into ventricular fibrillation. In that case, the heart is not able to pump blood through the rest of the body, and the person then suffer, including the heart itself, and then they then suffer uh, cardiac arrest. Interesting. One of the things that um, that that we're taught in medical school is that when a patient is in ventricular fibrillation, a blow to the chest, uh, what we call a precordial thump, sometimes can actually, if you don't have a defibrillator uh, readily available, or if you uh, don't have medications that can bring the heart out of defibrillation, a precordial thump sometimes, or punch to the chest, or a heart thump basically to the chest. Uh, with a closed fist can help to bring that patient back into uh, rhythm, regular rhythm, ventricular rhythm. And so I think that's what happened with, uh, or at least that's what they're saying happened with uh, Hamlin when he was on the field. Of course, that shoulder pad looked like it came directly into his chest and hit him at just the right pressure uh, and the right location to send the heart into ventricular fibrillation. But this happens about 30 times a year, they say, about 30 times a year. And usually it's, uh, it happens even in Little League, children, young patients or, or players that are younger than 20 years old or so can also um, suffer these. But usually it's like if, if it's an object that's moving, a small object moving at 40 miles per hour or more can hit the chest like that. And that's usually more of an issue in sports like uh, baseball, lacrosse, or, or, or even hockey. People get hit in the chest with a hockey puck or something. Uh, so those types of things can happen and it causes a sudden cardiac arrest. And, and my guess is, is that people probably should be, I mean, if you're going to hold doctors to that standard, then those persons who are making money off of people's careers should be uh, held to the responsibility of at least educating those players to say, hey, these are some of the risks that you can, in addition to, you know, fractured bones and torn ligaments and uh, CTE, you can also get commodio cortis at some point. And, uh, but one of our viewers said the NFL is an entertainment business, not an organized sport. And, and he said they're concerned about the risk of losing revenue. And I don't know if an organized sports versus the entertainment aspect really changes their responsibility. Uh, if they're the ones, and I guess it's the, I guess it's probably not the NFL. It's, maybe that's the point that he's making, that each individual team then has for whom that uh, that person plays has the responsibility has a responsibility of providing um, education so that they can make informed consent to play. Well, I mean, even I don't. I'm with you. I don't know if the distinction matters because at the end of the day, they're not, they're an employer. I mean, you know, you're 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 using your employees, and these are you know players and and teams to be able to achieve the goal of bringing in revenue. But you can't negate the fact that the, you you are an employer, um, you know. And I, I would also say to some degree, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily going to be. Um, I guess I don't know what the word is like. 
effective to give that disclaimer at the NFL level. Because I mean, in these days, and when I've talked about this a lot of times with family and friends, these days, when you are picking a sport, you're pretty much going to be devoted to that sport. And so if you're starting and you're not going to be able to make the NFL unless you have pretty much committed to that sport, well, young, and it may be probably these days, sort of five or six years old. I mean, you live in the South, live in South Georgia, <laughs> you, you, it's either football or academics you know I mean it's it's such a it's such a football thing and so you know to tell someone who has devoted the past 18 plus years of their life okay now here are the risks and they have no other I guess talent or or no other you know interest in anything else to expect them to then leave and, and not then sign that bonus I don't know how realistic there is and so I mean there's to some degree of questions when we start having these honest conversations about the cons or, or the potential health risk as it relates to the sport of football. Well, it, it, so football has been coming under a lot of criticism lately <laughs> about its its safety and whether or not we should actually still be. Um, and some discussions have been made as whether or not it should actually be a, a venerated sport. Um, the one when we know that so many life-altering and life-changing injuries are almost inevitable to occur uh, during this sport. When you go into that field, you you can recognize that you're likely going to come off of that field after playing a full career with some type of long-lasting effects, whether it's CTE or whether it's hip pain, chronic hip pain, back pain, whatever it is, you're going to have something, some remnant of injury. Uh, from having participated in that sport. And I wonder, uh, you as an employment attorney, if whether or not occupational safe and healthy, uh, uh, occupational safety health act, is OSHA. Yeah, thank you. Uh, OSHA, if it, if it, if I was trying to say it out for those people who, who may not be familiar with the, with what OSHA stands for, uh, including myself, but <laughs> the health administration. Um, yeah, the administration, but the act was from 1970. So there was an act that created was created by Congress to protect workers, you know, and, and require employers to create conditions in the workplace that um, that limit the the exposure to occupational injuries. I'm wondering if if professional sports are subject to the same scrutiny that someplace like a hospital or, or funeral home or or doctor's office or or you name it any or factory these places are heavily scrutinized by OSHA by the administration and are subject to certain fines if they find that um, that the employer has violated any of the working conditions. Well, and, and you did make a good point that we are heavily scrutinized in football, but it is, um, I, I think I'm a fan of gymnastics. And when you think about the whole Larry Nassar incident that happened and it put a lot of women pretty much at risk or susceptible to sexual assault, and they sued not only the U.S. gymnastics organization, but also to some degree, um, the Olympic committee that kind of handles a lot of the safe sport that it lets you know there is supposed to be some level of responsibility that is on these organizations to ensure the sport is safe. And we we talked about earlier the CTE lawsuit because it is saying, no, there is some level of responsibility on you to give us this information and to make equipment safe. And subsequent to um, the CTE lawsuit, we have heard the NFL say we've changed some of the helmets, we've changed some of the gears. But I also think their their counter or their defense often is, but there's an assumption of risk that you take. I mean, again, when you know that you're going to be in a heavily contact sport, to some degree, you can't expect that you're not going to be injured at all. Now, again, there is an expectation that you at least tell me what you know is is particularly Mm -hmm. more fatal or or more um, detrimental than others. But at the same time, there isn't this, okay, if I get hurt, you're responsible for paying for it, particularly if we're talking about Little League and the like. Um, Now, again, if you become an employee, you should advocate for health benefits so that you have the means to to have that taken care of. But again, as we talk about with Hamlin, if you come into a situation in which you're no longer able to play in that sport again, and this is true often 
even if it's not a sport, if, if you're an employee and you have a condition that pretty much says you can no longer perform the essential functions of the job, the employer can say, okay, well, you know, we'll let you have your health benefits to the end of the month, but we're not obligated to keep you on because you can no longer perform the job. And that's what happens in the NFL too. If Hamlin were to come back and say, and his doctor say, no, I'm sorry, you're no longer able to perform the essential functions of this position, then he gets let go. And, and all that compensation gets changed. Um, and, and I don't doubt that, particularly given how you know public it became, there'll be some outcry. But keep in mind, that's something you see. I don't doubt there's been several players that maybe not have had life-threatening injuries, but injuries that prevent them from continuing the game. And then you, you wonder what they're gonna do because if you can't play the sport, any employer can rightfully then say, well, you're no longer employed in this position because you have to meet these essential functions. So one, one, one viewer is asking uh, if employees can lose or forfeit their rights by signing that contract then. You say, can they, are, are they asking? Or do they, do they, yeah. Well, the first, first the, the, I'll, I'll say this exactly as this, but employees can lose slash forfeit their rights through signing the employer's contract, question mark, correct? One thing about the NFL, again, my understanding of I've never represented, is that they have their agreement is with the union. So a lot of times they have these collective bargain agreements in which the players, all the players pretty much, and not just in teams, but pretty much all the players within the, the NFL kind of come together and they articulate what are the, the terms that they would like to have. Now, the NBA does a better job, and by the NBA, I mean their players do a better job of articulated in getting the benefits they want and they will go on strike as we have seen in the past the players will go on strike to ensure they get some of the health benefits and other pension in terms that they want the nfl players are more vulnerable to use your words it's probably because of the cte <laughs> maybe <laughs> and, and the eagerness to play as well as the the limited lifetime in that sport i feel like in the nba and perhaps some other sports you could probably play into your 30s Whereas the NFL, probably once you hit 30, it's time to talk about it. You know, and I know we see a Tom Brady that's still playing out there, but even then, you know, that's rare. A lot of times they they don't continue to play. And again, this is a sport in which you're constantly getting hit. So each time you get out there, um, the level of performance starts decreasing the more hits that come. So you imagine someone's not going to be able to last as long. And so under those circumstances, yeah, if you have an effective union, to make sure that it's representing all the interests of the players and, and getting all those benefits, then yeah, you'll you'll have the opportunity not to relinquish or waive some of these rights. Um, but but again, on the flip side, we're talking about a lot of football players that come in there 18, 19, eager to, to sign that bonus, and they don't have the same type of unity that the basketball players are to ensure they have some of the same benefits that some of the other um sports do because I think baseball some of their contracts are more guaranteed whereas you don't hear a lot about guaranteed um pay for some of the NFL players mm -hmm. now it's interesting because I'm, I'm wondering whether or not um he can or will be able to go back to playing in the NFL or playing period altogether so think about injuries that that occur i mean people nfl players suffer these injuries all the time they get out they get rehabilitated and they get back on the field and they go do it all over again uh and some of those are even hit traumatic head injuries they they well, get a lot of those are those concussions and right they, they don't recognize the effects until they retire and they go right back out and play again so um, this has gotten a lot of attention and, and a lot of it will depend on how bad his injury was uh, when I'm saying the injury for Hamlin and the injury is not necessarily caused by the hit. The injury is caused by his heart stopping. And so when the heart stops or inefficiently contracts, he's in that fibrillation. It does not provide blood to the rest of the body. If you start uh, CPR, uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, chest compressions pretty soon, and that happened pretty expediently, at least on the field. Um, from from what I I wasn't watching it live, so you know what the reports were that they started pretty quickly and um, 
if you still can circulate, if those chest compressions were sufficient, you're still circulating blood throughout the rest of the body. You don't have brain injury. You're not suffering what we call anoxic brain injury, where the brain doesn't get oxygen. Any, any organ that doesn't get oxygen eventually will, will die or suffer some injury. So his kidneys, kidneys, lungs, I mean, kidneys and the brain and the heart are particularly uh, vulnerable to those types of injury. And that's some of the things that the doctors are looking at right now. They're seeing, you know, is he, is he, does he appear to have normal brain, brain function? And the last I know, he was actually interacting with, uh, with family members and with, uh, with medical staff appropriately, which is always a good uh, sign. I think the last report I read said that he had some lung injuries still, and some of that could be from uh, from even just the mechanical ventilation that he had been on for a while. Could be because of poor blood supply as well. Um, but there's a possibility that this, since this was just ventricular fibrillation, that people uh, go into VFib and recover, you know, without much consequence afterwards. So the question is, and I want to pose this question to our viewers and listeners as well, is if you make a full recovery from this, this type of injury, would you or should he consider going back to the NFL? And should he consider going back into the sport? Again, it's a, it's a very rare condition. And I'm not sure that, um, that if it happened once, if it makes it more susceptible, makes you more susceptible to it happening again, because it happens only 30 times. Think about it. Of all the people on this earth or in this country, it happens 30 times a year. And uh, so it's, it's very uncommon. And I'm not sure that it happens commonly multiple times in a particular person. So I don't know that he's necessarily vulnerable to it happening again. If all of his organs are functioning properly, he gets back out on the field, get back into rehab and physical therapy. He's a young guy, 24 years old. He, he's likely to make a very good recovery from this uh, because he had resuscitation started uh, fairly early. Should he get back out and onto that field? Are you willing, is he willing to pay that cost of, of what he would consider his career success? Would you be willing to pay that cost? Well, 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 while we wait on some of the viewers to respond, I did want to circle back with one thing, as you said, that it wasn't caused by the hit, because it's my understanding that the hit is what stopped the heart. Yes. I mean, help me, help me understand that. That's what, that's what the hit is what stopped the heart. Okay. But if he has subsequent injury, um, it would be because of anoxia. Blood just didn't get to those injuries, to those other organs, to those vital organs. And okay. Well, I think you, I think you initially said, you know, the hit wasn't the, the issue. And I'm like, no, the hit, you know, I don't think he no. would have been passed out had he not got knocked out, you know, in the manner that he did. But um, no, the hit doesn't cause the injury itself. And that's what I, I think that's what I was trying. I think that's what I said was that the hit does not cause the injury, the injury that he has, if he has some long-term, it would be caused by anoxia. So the hit did cause so if you want to talk from a legal standpoint, about, if you want to talk way. about uh, it's, it's an indirect cause and not a direct cause. Yeah, direct, okay. indirect. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still like, uh, no, I mean, My, the stop in the heart is not, I mean, maybe, maybe that's not the definition of an injury, but it sounds like that is, you know, an issue. But I'd also say, I mean, I know, I know you're saying, you know, is, this is rare, but at the same time, you don't want to be that one. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> listen, they, they get on the field because they they when they get on that field because of the promise of their success in that right, arena, right. they they do want to be that. They don't want to be that one, but they accept the risk of being that one. So when they know the risk, as we talk about, I mean, I don't know if they know that hey, this is a potential um, consequence, and and so they get on. But but as we agree, I mean, we talked about earlier, they do know some of the more common risks, particularly if we talk to concussions and CTE. And they get on anyway. So I don't doubt that if he does make a full recovery, I don't doubt he'll get back on the field. I mean, not even just because I'm sure he, there's a love of the sport there, but also because there's that, okay, well, what else I'm going to do? You know, I've, I've signed this contract. I've got what, four to $800,000 coming in. I'm not going to walk away from that. <laughs> because, and I, I, to me, I think that's his mentality. Now, if you ask me, no, I'm, I'm done. And, and, and quite frankly, if I was, you know, 
and I hate to speak of it, but even his, his mom was right there on the field and went from hugging him, congrats, go get him, to, you know, rushing out there, walking in with the ambulance. It would be hard for me to watch my child do that and then feel comfortable with him going back on the field. And, and I hear it, oh, it's likely not going to happen again. Uh, sorry, it's happened one time too many for me. And I don't want to see, I don't want to watch him back into that sport in, it, in that same manner. Yeah, but but people do that all the time, and and particularly one in particular that I'm, I'm I'm thinking about is boxing. You know, I mean, some of the beatings that these people take in boxing, where they're out and they're really concerned about this person's health after after a, a, a terrible fight, and then they get rehabilitated. They're like, I'm getting back in there, and I'm thinking about their family members who would say, Don't do that again. You know, I was. Maybe I'm just thinking about Rocky movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, I think boxing, when talk about concussions, I, they probably have even right. more. That's probably even more fatal or risk of a fatality than football. Ooh, excuse me. But nonetheless, you know, like you said, you know, you get knocked out. And if you can't get up, that means you're likely either unconscious <laughs> or... <laughs> I mean, they call it a knockout for a reason, but yeah. You know, <laughs> you and then they're like, okay, well, I'm back. I'm ready for the next one. You're like, really? Are you crazy? Check me out. Clear me. Put me back in the ring. But I do wonder, you know, and then hopefully we've got some viewers commenting. One of the things I thought about, though, was it relates to benefits. When you have these pre-existing conditions, that is used to then determine the level of benefits you get. And I mean, I know the question really is about whether you should go back out there, but at the same time, it's, it's funny, it's interesting that in the healthcare field, they do, even though they may, even though the doctor may say, oh, you're fully recovered, you're whatever, the healthcare, the, in, the insurance says, no, you're not, you have a taint, and we call that a pre-existing condition, and you're not the same level of full capacity that even a doctor may clear you for. And so even a, to me, if, if the insurance care is going to look at it in that manner, I think again players you might want to look at it in that manner too I mean, you're not you're not the same person that you were before that injury yeah i don't know if they would consider uh commodial cortis a pre-existing condition but if you have that i suffered cardiac arrest then yeah that becomes a pre-existing condition uh if you have to put that on there if you had an infarction let me say if you had if he had a cardiac infarction um, meaning that blood didn't get to the heart and part of the heart tissue died as a result of it. There's a difference in, in, and I don't want to get too semantic with some of these, but when we're talking about ventricular fibrillation and cardiac arrest, meaning that the heart just does not work, doesn't not necessarily mean that you have suffered injury, anoxic injury to the heart itself. I don't know, maybe the doctors will, will, will get a little bit more explicit about whether or not he had any injury to his heart. Uh, and I'd love to hear the answer to that. Uh, but the point is, I guess when you when he's finally recovered, and I'm praying and believing that he will be fully recovered from this. Um, and by the way, one of the doctors who I saw on the news was a guy who I trained with at the University of Cincinnati. I was like, man, he's still there. <laughs> I didn't realize he was still there, though. But uh, Tim Pritz. And so good job, Tim. Um, but anyhow, uh, but he actually was doing his residency when I was in my um, doing my PhD work in the Department of Surgery. So, um, but there's there are a variety of things that need to happen. So he has to make a decision as to whether or not he would come back and whether the cost was going to be too high for him or not. The, uh, the 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 team owners have to make a determination as do we want to hire this guy who we saw this happen to him. We know that he's got- Bring him back, uh, he's already hired. I mean, you mean- Yeah, bring him back or, well, you know, <laughs> if, he can't, if, no. he, if he can't perform then, you know, like you said, at some point you have to, he's two years into the, into the, uh, into the uh, league. And so his career can be ended pretty quickly. And then the third one is, um, what was the third one? I can't read your mind. I was on a roll. I was on a roll, and you threw me off. 
<laughs> you meant me and sent me into commodio mentis. <laughs> Got me into having a confused commodio. What is really is confused, like a commodio cordis is confused heart. You sent me into commodio mentis, I guess. <laughs> Mental <laughs> confused mind. But he has to make that determination. The players have to make that determination. I mean, not the players, but the owners have to make that determination. Then after they made those determinations and if they're affirmative saying, yeah, we're going to play. I'd be wondering if I was on his, if I was his opponent, I'm ready to go tackle him. I'd be thinking like, am I able to tackle this guy? Do I need to be more ginger with him? Or can I hit him hard? Like I'm you know, told to, it's, it's just too much to consider at this point when you, uh, when you're playing, it'd be interesting to see years down the road, maybe months down the road. Um, you know, how all this plans, how this all pans out for him. I wish him the best in terms of recovery though. Yes. And I will say as a putting a little bit on that legal hat, you know, if the doctor does say he's clear to, to report back and he is qualified to maintain that position, it will be difficult for the NFL to then drop him because then, you know, you get into the disability um, arguments and whether they are discriminated against him. And, and let's be clear, College athletes, high school athletes, I'm sure each stage you're coming into it with a previous injury that's happened. Um, and so from that standpoint, you know, I mean, it might not have played out itself as publicly as it did with Hamlin, but I don't doubt that, you know, back in high school or back in college, you might have had a player just lay out on the field on coaches for a second, you know, mm-hmm. and and had that play out on a national platform, we'd have a different conversation. But because in, in high school and college, it's not played out nationally, as long as that doctor is like, hey, yep, you can go back. These college recruits or these college coaches are like, okay, well, fine. If you put them back in the game and I'm seeing performing, I'll put them on our roster. And so, I mean, I, I don't doubt that, you know, it, it, to me, it's going to rely on the doctors. The doctors do say, yes, he is cleared. He can perform the position, which I mean, I back to your earlier point, I want the doctors to be very truthful in what they say. I don't want it to be motivated by the, either the NFL money, publicity or whatever, because I, I know a lot of people are rooting for him to come back as a full recovery. And I, even if we talk about the NFL interest, I'm sure there's some interest in not making it look like this sport can kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, while they may not care as much about you as we would like at the same time, they don't want it to appear that this sport can kill you. And so I, I even wouldn't doubt that they may talk to those doctors and be like, hey, make sure it's it's a full recovery here so that we can save a little face on that on that note. But I want the doctors to really be honest listen, is this person in a full condition to be able to play this position in the same manner that he may have done for the past however many years he's been in the sport? And if they're honest about that and they say, yeah, he can, the the Buffalo Bills has got to put him back on the roster. Yeah, well, the, the challenge is, is that only thing that they can do is comment on uh, what injury he sustained. Did he, did he have any myocardial infarction did he have any uh kidney damage that's going to be long term uh are all of his organs functioning as they were functioning before does he have a good ejection fracture is his heart contracting like it's supposed to is he is he circulating blood like he's supposed to and 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 if he is i'm not sure that there's a lot to to really to to really hold him back from getting back out there it, other than the mental, the fear that we would have as <laughs> the mental aspect. <laughs> yeah, it is. But why, why would this be much more frightening than, you know, the concussions, you know, when you realize somebody is just knocked out, you know, but yeah, okay. He came back though. And so now we can go play again. <laughs> well, and I think people have, I think again, football players have accepted the concussions because I, yeah. I imagine that happens in college or even in high school. Um, whereas it's, it's one thing to say, no, we had to pretty much perform CPR on you. <laughs> you were, your heart stopped and you haven't had tubes in the like while you're sitting here in the hospital. Yeah. Well, again, maybe that does make a difference. I hope so. But then again, again, I think we both agree. If he comes back full recovery, he's probably going to go back um, onto the, onto the roster and will want to play again just by benefit of the compensation that he would receive. 
Well, I guess we spent our whole time talking about that area of success, but <laughs> there's still nonetheless a high cost for it. You know, as always, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Please do put, um, like and comment. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Um, we're here every Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Also, you can catch the replay on Star Radio. Until next Saturday, have a good week. <laughs>